0: Start here. Um, there, there are 100 candies in this bag. Um, I, I'd like you all to do a small sampling exercise in pairs. Um, what you must do is, well, you set up the scale here. It's a kitchen scale. So you turn it on, and um, it, it's good to get slid because it's good if you can use the little table. Otherwise, you'll have to do it on the floor. You can't do it on your lap. Okay, put the I want you to do this in pairs. I'm following the instructions. Pull five candies out of the bag and, and weigh the five candies together. Put all five down and, and record the weight. Write down the weight, but don't say it aloud because I don't want you to influence the other people. So you'll, you'll write down the weight on the sheet of paper. Then put the candies back in the bag and then pass the scale and the um, bag to the next people Uh, Having done that, please uh, multiply the number you got by 20, but don't say it aloud, silently multiply by 20, and that's your estimate of the entire, don't cheat and weigh the whole bag, (laughs) your goal is, you're only allowed to do it this way, but your goal is to come up with the most accurate estimate possible, so do the sampling however you would like, but you're only allowed to do five, Um, so Please do that, and then we'll just do it in pairs, and we will we'll, we'll all will have to use the floor, and, or you can you, you, you use your YouTube the table, and keep doing yeah. that while we go and bring it on Turn it on. Um, in in grams, so we are gonna do random? Um, so I, I've done this with uh, students at, at all levels. Um, these are, these are some college students uh, working, working together to pull things out. Um, one of our themes is how to use what you were like. Yeah, we can the whoever gets closest will get the whole um, bag. When I've done this too. When I've done this to middle school students, very uh, yeah,
1: so
0: so OK. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> gonna I will get back to the the um the statistical implications. Silently topic. I'll get back to the statistical implications later. I'll just say for the teaching implications I, I like it. I always have people do things in pairs. Um, as much as possible. When you do things alone and you get stuck, you know, it's, it's hard to engage with brain and it's easy to just give up. But in, in care, it's here. you're a little more pressured to explain yourself. Um, it's also a good way for people to, to meet each other. Um, had you not done the whole introduction thing, I might have suggested that people introduce themselves in Paris while doing So as I wrote, you can use any method you want. Um, the is to get as close as possible. Another thing about teaching, about classroom activities is redundancy, is you put the instructions right on the board. So actually, usually what I would do is, and I should have done here actually, is write the instructions on the board right here. Because <coughs> you know that people don't pay attention all the time. And there may be someone who's was wandering and it gets to them and they don't know what to do. So, they, you don't want to only use the slides, right? You, you want to use the board to show you work, but you also want to use the board to have to have instructions on, on what to do. Um, which I should do here, just you know, put out select five red multiply. Return to that. Multiply by two. You want to make use of more things. I'll say you know about the psychology research that says that people remember things based on their physical location. So if it's over here or over there, that's another place to find it in your memory. Um, this is a map. This is from a bunch of years ago, actually. It's, um, it's appeared in the Statistics Journal. Uh, it was, it, it's the 10% of counties in the United States with the highest rate of kidney cancer deaths. And what I would like um, you to do with your neighbor is discuss um, why why most of the shaded counties are, are over here. All the places you've heard about, like New York and Los Angeles, like um, they're not shaded. So what's going on there? So I'd like you to talk to your neighbor about this. Um, why, why, it's, it's going to be a great People have uh, answers to this. Uh,
1: yes. Our oh,
0: guess that it's probably wrong was that in the rural areas, they have less access to doctors' level, they get diagnosed later than one of these guys. So, yeah, so this is, I've heard this one before, uh, mm-hmm. so maybe here they're, they're less likely to, um, by the time they find out they have kidney cancer, it's too late. Um, it's not that for here, uh, it turns out. I don't know. I don't think I can do much with kidney cancer now, but actually, this was from the 1980s, and then it was pretty much unfeasible.
1: Um, uh, any other? It was kind of slightly. It was actually a set of the last. It looks like quite a lot of I will say it's a tenth of the counties, and it's less than a tenth of these, and it's more than a tenth of these.
0: So there is, people have said this, that these counties are physically larger, um, and so it might look like a certain thing, but it's actually that they, visually, actually, there really aren't any counties here in California, so for non well, American audience, it's maybe a little bit more difficult. Um, people sometimes will say, well, actually, it's because these are all the old people who are dying, because no young people live out here anymore, and they all go to other places. But that's actually not quite right because lots of old people live down here. So, so these are these are age adjusted death rates. So depending on what I'm teaching, this is a I can have a sidebar here where we talk about age adjustment. So you get the estimate for each age category and you reweight. Um it's you know usually what we'd like to do is say well how would you do age adjustment? So then I have them be in pairs and try to come up with a scheme for what does it mean to have age adjusted rate. People come up with all sorts of goofy ideas. And they, they, they just don't really know what to do, they're just sort of guessing, okay? You take the average age, and you subtract this, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. So, um, but of course they'll appreciate it more if they You have to do that on the floor, you can't do that in your lab, the way you the scale. <laughs> <laughs> it just won't be balanced. Or you could do it on your table, but, but not, on the, not on your lap. Um, so we made this map. This is the map of the 10% of the counties in the United States <laughs> with the lowest rates of kidney cancer. Um. <clears throat> Oh, is, before you the is it states? just averaging out over counties? Oh, sorry, over, over states? Is it, if you look at the sort of highest to lowest, it's just, you know, it's... They're not the state counties, I'll tell you that. Obviously, okay. you can't both get <coughs> the lowest 10% and the highest 10%. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but no, over the states. So it's sort of just randomly clustering within states, mm-hmm. counties within states. Not quite random, yes. Is there more segregation in these states, neighborhood or non-segregation? You stand maybe like no. This is all—it's all—it's all, it's all, um, it's all a statistical artifact, which is this. When you have low population, imagine you have a county with a thousand people. It's likely to have zero people get kidney cancer deaths, and so they're likely to actually a very small county is very likely to be on this now. But if they get one. Then they're among the most dangerous counties in America. So, Los Angeles here as a county has 11 million people, and it never had a chance of being on this map. Um, You're only picking out the extremes here. But what's interesting is how easy it is to come up with explanations. So, if you step back and say, What were we doing when we were trying to explain this? So, if we said, Well, this is an anomaly, like you look at this map and they are not randomly distributed. So you try to explain the pattern, you understand, and the natural way to explain it is to say, oh, there's something causing this or mm-hmm. something people are doing. Um, but there is an explanation that's not quite what you might think. I mean, this is one of my favorite examples, I use it pretty much in every class I teach at all levels. Yes, do you have a question? You know, no, uh, now I sometimes relate it to students by giving an example. Uh, my my experience is what the kind of example that students love the most. Okay, is not it's not health because they're young and they're going to live forever, and it's not sex because they don't think sex has any connection to statistics, and it's not it's it's education. Their favorite examples are test scores, that's what they can relate to, that's the place, that's the part of the life, their life that they've thought analytically about the most. So I give this analogy, imagine that you have two tests you can take. Um, you can take a test with 100 questions, or you can take a test with one question. If you take a test with one question, your score is multiplied by 100. Um, so you get either a zero or 100. And you're trying to get into graduate school. Um, which test do you want to take, test A or test B? Well, I want you to talk to your neighbor about this. <laughs> but which would you do? Which would you want, A or B? <laughs> yeah. So the cutoff point would be for yeah. If well, that's what it's, meant. If it's hard to get into graduate school. Which test would you want to take? It's yeah. like, then B? Right. You get B <laughs> because you have a chance, and if it's easy to get in, then do A. So this is like the cancer maps, right? So test A is like New York City, Los Angeles. Um, There's a lot of data, and so you get a very good estimate of the cancer rate. Um, Test B is a county with about a thousand people where you either win or lose. So that's what the map is showing you. Now there's a lot of subtleties if you want to get, if you have a class that's more mathematical. Um, It's not true that the smaller the county, the more likely you are to be on this first map. Because if you only have ten people in the county, you're not likely to get any. Cancers at all. So there's the sweet spot, which is about 8,000 people, I think, which is the count where it's the smallest county, for the smallest population for which one cancer would get you into this map. And that's the one that So this is not actually a map of the lowest population counties, it's a map of a bunch of counties of around 5,000 people each. This map, though, well, the lowest, you're most likely to be in the lowest, <coughs> you actually are. If you actually know the United States, if you look at this, this is mostly places like deserts and mountains with very few people. Um, And a random scattering of some other small counties. Certain states have a lot of, have have very counties. Um, Whereas this one is a little bit different. I I don't get to that point. If I'm teaching the intro class, I don't do that. I don't mention that point. But it's nice to know that there's a saying we have in statistics that God is in every leaf Tree, right? so anything you study—if you look at it carefully enough—even something as silly and stupid as politics—if you study it carefully, there's subtleties. kidding about politics being stupid, but like sometimes my colleagues in the statistics departments have that attitude. It's <laughs> trivial because it's not biology, um, it's not genetics. Um, oh, okay. We like to. Here, this is one just for you. Take one um, and um, fill it out, please. It's a hand in this inventory. Um, um, So, uh, you know, time management is very important, and I needed to pass these out while I was doing the other thing. Um, Each of these tasks, you put a... If you use your left hand, you put two pluses here. If you use your right hand, you put two pluses here. If you use either hand, you put one plus on each side. So just fill it out and add them up. Um, do that. please. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, this sort of this sort of an, um, assignment is good for students because people love talking about themselves. Um, it's always good. Do that. I, there's an analogy I do. I I'm, you know, I was actually always do very well in college and so but I'm not very good at foreign languages and I'm always trying to learn a foreign language and I'm always struggling. So when I think of teaching I think of what it's like for me learning a foreign language or learning a sport, but learning how to throw a ball. Um, that I realize how difficult it is. I realize someone can tell me the same thing ten times and I still don't know how to do it. So I, I try to then I can sort of get into the minds of the students and think how they are. And one thing I know is when I take a foreign language class, it's always fun when we get to talk about our own lives, right? So we're learning some verb or whatever, and I get to talk about my kids. And it just makes me happy to talk about my kids. It puts me a better move. And <coughs> it's tricky with students. You can't ask them to talk about their kids, um, and you can't ask them to talk about their personal grades either. It's a little tricky. Okay, now, what I would like you to do, um, having done this, um, you haven't done it before, so. mm-hmm. Oh, okay, having done it in your head, what I want you to do with your neighbor now is to make a little, I want you to make a, a graph of the distribution of the responses, okay? So everyone's response is somewhere between plus one and minus four. So plus one is a pure right-hander, uh, like me actually. Minus one is a pure left-hander, and the zero is a mixed person. <coughs> what I would like you to do is make a little graph with your neighbor of what the distribution of all of everybody's responses is. Well, oh, there's only about 20 responses, For don't I mean, worry, a discrete distribution. But that's not the point, right? I want you to graph. You know what I'm saying? Graphing the distribution. Like, mm-hmm. like for example, you could do this. Of course, it's not going to look like this. Everybody knows that it's but make the graph that you think represents the distribution. So, so my I'll tell you all the story, story my about this. Story. The punchline, the punchline of my story is going to be that I was a little confused myself. I mean, I'm still learning. I mean, and I feel like it's sort of wrong, like if I'm 50 years old that I should sort of have figured everything out by now. Um, that I'm teaching undergraduates, but I'm sure that when I'm 60, I'll be completely clear. <laughs> Um Now, again, I'm disorganized because the idea was that this slide was supposed to be there for you while you were doing it, and I. I so I'm, I'm supposed to use that software that allows you to see what the next slide is that's coming, and, and I didn't do that or prepare better. So, this is typically what people guess. This like a lot of people. Now I'll show you what we actually got um, from students. Um, it actually looked like this. Um, so there was not such a people expect to see a sort of pink. Actually, there just aren't that many here left-handers um, in the population. People who call themselves left-handed tend to be a little bit mixed. Um, and there are sort of certain people. So I thought this was interesting because I actually was picking up. there's a statistics textbook that I, was a fine book that <coughs> mentioned handedness as a discrete variable. So it's not really a discrete variable, it's really continuous. And I, I was going around saying this for a long time, but then I looked carefully at the handedness inventory. So you can look at yours. And then, okay, writing, drawing, throwing, scissors, toothbrush, I'm sort of fine with the first five. I'm kind of a little worried about these. Like the knife without the fork, like, what are you doing with the knife? Like whole four things, you know, it's a little confusing. And then the spoon, it's like, I guess, the upper hand of the broom, like, so, so like the upper hand of doing do this, like how do I hold a broom? So <laughs> you're gonna add the hand, the match, opening the, when I open the box, where I hold the lid, like how many boxes I So for me it's all right-handed because I know I'm right-handed and I'm not. But if I have a mixedness to me, I, would, I think I might get stuck on some of these. I think these questions add some noise. have a noisy measure, of course, you're gonna get more of a continuous response. So I did sort of feel that these people here, if they were pure right-handers, they would just say they're pure right-handers, but, but I wonder if there's a little bit going on. So you, you know, measurement is important, this is it's called the Edinburgh inventory. It's very standard, so I just assume that's what everybody used and it's right, but that's not true, right? But it may be in the past that people used room more and so forth. Um, okay, let's let's do this now. Um, I want your estimates of the weight of the candies. So just count your estimates of the total weight of the candies in the back life. Go around. Uh, four thousand sixty. Four thousand sixty. Okay. Four thousand two hundred twenty. Next pair. Uh, four thousand four hundred forty. Four thousand four hundred forty. <laughs> Next pair. Twelve sixty. One thousand two hundred sixty. <laughs> Next pair. Eight eighty. Eight eighty. Next pair. Twenty one eighty. Okay. Oh, it's uh, 5,400. 5,400. 2, 1, 4, 0. 2, 1, 4, 0. 6, 1, Now we're out of 8, so it's convenient. I guess <laughs> uh, we can do a little graph here. Um, 1, Zero, one well, thousand kilograms, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> and we have um, one that's under a thousand. We have one between a thousand and two hundred to uh, two between a thousand and two hundred. Uh, between two thousand and three hundred we have uh, two also. I'm between three and four, between four and five we have three. Of course it works better when we have a little bit larger group, but I like, pe- I like people to do it in pairs. I think that's very, that's very important. Okay, so here we have sampling distribution of sorts based on different pollsters trying to survey it as same population. <laughs> no, it's, um, not, it's not pure sampling variability because you're using different sampling methods. Um well let's see what it really is. I, I maybe um <laughs> before weighing <whammy it, laughs> at I'd like I'd like us to do something. I'd like to create what we call a 50% subjective interval for the weight of a for the total weight of the canvas in the back. So I want an interval for which we're roughly 50% sure that it contains a true value. Now, there are different ways of doing this. People talk about bad and stuff, but we'll do it sort of in a casual way. Um, we're going to throw out an interval, and then we're going to sort of vote on whether we think it contains the true value. Your vote does not have to be based on what what your estimate was here. This is past now. This is it. This is data. You're allowed to use everybody's information. So, someone just give me an interval that you think has a 50% chance of containing the true weight of the the back. to 4. What? Two to 4 kilograms. True to 4 kilograms. Okay, so. 2,000, okay, now I want you to, I don't know how much in the back of but I want you to raise your hand if you think the true weight is between two and four. Raise it high if you think it's between two and four. Raise your hand if you think it's outside that interval. And more people think it's outside, so we're gonna have to, okay, raise your hand if you think it's below 2,000, raise your hand if it's above 4,000.
1: The interval or the- well, mm-hmm. what I want to do a 25% that.
0: chance that it's here, 25, 50% chance it's here, and 25 So most of you see the thing outside. So let's try this again. If you think it's below 2,000, raise your hand high. If you think it's between 2 and 4, raise your hand. And if you think it's above 4, raise your hand. Above 4, passes. Nobody thinks above only one person. Okay. <laughs> so whoever suggested this <coughs> to so let's do something like this. I just have to play around with this a little bit. We could have a little machine that does this. Raise your hand if you think it's less than 1,500. Raise your hand if, well, that's not according. <laughs> if you think it's less than 1,800. Raise your hand if you think it's between 1,800 and 3,000. Raise your hand if you think it's more than 3,000. Or maybe. Okay, so I'm going to say yes. Um, you as, as my. Let's try this one more time. Less than 1800. <laughs> <800, laughs> raise it high. Everyone has to give them their vote. Less than 1800. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Between 1800 and 3200. And above 3200. Okay, that's pretty good. Okay. Um, and our best is medicine. Right? Okay, let's do it. 1676. <laughs> well who guessed who guessed one thousand six hundred and twenty? Oh, and there's something that you like that. Like, is there an envelope back there? In my chair, is an envelope sticking out of my chair back there? Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. weird. What what does it say? <laughs> <laughs> what is it Oh, it says I should get the back. No. <laughs> Your estimates are too high. Oh <laughs> yeah, well not everybody's but average. Um, so I think you can well it's worth maybe drawing the analogy to a survey, uh if you surveyed people. This um, if you go and survey people outside and interview them, you're likely to get people who are <coughs> friendly. Um, if you grab candies out of the bag, you're likely to pick big candies. It's just harder to find the small ones. In fact, the big ones float to the top and the small ones just go through the holes. And, you know, one big one. So whoever guess. I would guess that whoever gets 880 worked very hard to counter that bias. Is so that correct? You purposely tried to um, <laughs> So, you know, exit polls in the United States are notorious for oversampling Democrats, uh, presumably because the people who do the exit polls are young people. And they're supposed to get every 10th person to interview them, but sometimes it's easier to interview certain people. Um, it's, a, it's, a re- it's a real problem, yes. But in a sense, for the sort of sampling survey course you might use a slightly different example because to an up to a point, it's a good <coughs> idea to, to sample those big candies. It's kind of PPS probability proportional to sample. Oh, oh, you sample. can adjust. You can do an adjustment. Because they, they dominate the total, the big ones. I mm-hmm. guess people here were oversampling them too much. But no, no. It's, but that's not really right. I mean, let's say this. You can oversample the large ones, um, but then you need to know that you've oversampled the large ones. Um, so you can't, if, the, if, if you're locked into taking the number and multiplying it by five, then that's gonna, multiplying it by 20, it's not gonna work. But you're right, of course, if you have a different design, you can do this and then have a design which, which scales things down. Or you can do a stratified, there, there's no reason, I mean, yeah, it, it, anyway, you all know enough about this. <laughs> uh, but this works just with everybody. Now I once told, I once had my teaching assistant teach a class and I told her about the thing and I asked her to go get the candies and it didn't work. Because she didn't think it through, she just got 100 candies that were basically on the same size. <laughs> so I work hard, I, I get 20 big ones and 20 moderate sized ones and then 60 little ones, it's the smallest I can find. And then it, it, it always works. In fact, it's rare that anybody gets it slower. And what's was actually interesting if you all did sort of scale your thing down a little bit. Um, it's, there are a lot of textbook statistics examples, where are, there are books on examples, and they always have these things like you sample the candies and you say what percentage are green or blue. And I hate that kind of thing, and it's just more interesting. Although, it's a tough call because when you do these fun, tricky examples, the flip side is that maybe students are getting the wrong message that they're never learning the basics, they're only learning the tricky parts. So, so, I'm not sure, like uh, maybe some of these examples are, are so much fun for us, but they're not, you know, maybe they're just confusing for the students. Uh, ideally, you'd you you have a simpler example first, and then you do something fancy. Like so you might start with a sampling thing where you sample sheets of paper, like, we've done things where we have students write some amusing thing about themselves on a sheet of paper, like the total number of miles they've driven a car in their life, or something like that, something not too personal. And then we compute the average and we have them do samples, and you see how the samples are close to the average, and that's very healing. Once you've done that, then you can graduate to an example like this, and they can see the problems. But it's probably good to do that. The ideal, the ideal, progression is first the simple example, then the tricky example, then what do people really do with the tricky example, which gets back to your That would be how we'd like to cover it. And it's hard to keep it all straight. Um, here's another one. Um, this is this is one that I do. I give them this, and I say that you should I, I ask them to <coughs> I'll ask you to do it. This will be easy for you, but it's good to have a feeling for a like student. To be a student. So this is a regression we did of, of earnings. Earnings is that it's this quaint terminology economists use for how much money you make. They didn't call it earnings. Um, and here's earnings. And here's your height. Height in inches, which is this point measuring unit that, that we use in the United States. Um, this is a regression line. So I'd like you to just, you and your neighbor to spend a minute graphing the regression line and also graphing like a sort of fake scatter plot that looks like the data that this regression line. You'll,
1: you'll learn something right? <laughs> so by yeah, doing So this is the thing I always tell the students not to do that you all are doing the this living.
0: that ever want to start at zero and go like minus eighty four thousand. You know nobody's making eighty four thousand um, dollars. You know so I um, I want to talk. Well I'll talk about the example first here. Um, so I think most people are be between 60 and 80 inches uh, tall. So you actually just have to do this like minus 84,000 plus 1,563 times 60. But you actually sort of have to be willing to multiply a little bit. Um, but it's a slightly positive number, and then and then going from 60 to 80, you're adding 20 times this, which is about about 30. Right? So you're getting something more like depth. So this is still some small number, right? Like this is something like 10,000, and this is something like 40,000. So then you have to make a scatter plot. Well, if you look, see that the error is 20, plus or minus 20,000. So if you have most of the points that you plus or minus 20,000, you get this, but you can't really be negative. So obviously you have to have some, and then there's some, scatter and then you realize, well, some people make, you know, $200,000. So it actually has to have a lot of things down here and just a few up there. So there's really, there's actually sort of a lot. Oh, and somewhere it says there's 1379 observations. So there's actually a lot of information here. And, and I feel, you know, really like students are looking at these, we're looking at these outputs all the time and we have to be able to interpret them like that. Um, so for you, um, you know, there's this issue of how to make the graph and how, how does it feel. If you think about how it feels to the student doing this. I found, I started doing this assignment because I found that I was, I'm doing statistics, doing applied research. I'm always making graphs like that. saying, like, Oh, it's like this and here's some data. But then we don't have homework assignments where the students are being asked to do that. So how are they supposed to learn how to do it? You have to have them do it. So I I that this, Making this is itself a skill, but it's not, to, to make it a real skill you have to respect it. So I go around and I see some students kind of and have their dots there, and, and they say, oh, that's how you draw the line. And I'm like, oh well, no, you know, like, it's not quite, it doesn't work out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that typically the deterministic part of the model mm-hmm. is the most important, at least for understanding the model, but we tend to sort of push that aside. So, you'll find it, Especially with models with interactions, the students don't understand just the deterministic part of the regression model. And talking about, like, you'll have students who start yapping about whether the error distribution is normal, and they, they seem like they're very wise and thoughtful, but they're not really being that, because they don't understand the most basic part of the model, they're, they're focusing on, they dessert. So we had this, and I would continue, I won't do it here, but we have, this is the basic thing. Once you sort of round things off, um, it's not hard to so multiply 60 by 66 15 is 90, so it's not, it's not hard to actually do this if you don't get distracted by all the extra decimal places in the state output. Um, then we have, I give them something like this. So this will take a whole, when it's time to teach multiple regression I go through these and I will have the students pairs <clears throat> and we'll do one after another after another and then I'll have I'll have them say okay you're young groups of four I want two of you to know, create a problem for the other two. Come up with a realistic example. Just make it a come up with an example that looks like this but it can't be earnings and It has to be two variables that you think that you care about. You know, and then you do that. And then they're going to have to draw the graph based on you writing the model and the problem so how them do this. Spend the whole class period on this. Uh, whether you want to get to this interaction, and you know, that sort of your choice. Um, I'll skip um, this. Um, there's a whole thing, uh, I'll, skip, maybe I'll skip this too. Um, and I'm going to get to one more. I'm going to get to a demonstration that I use to teach more, for more advanced students, which has some probability component. So first I have another thing for you to do. This kind of pairs. And again, I forgot to hand it out ahead of time. Okay. These are uncertain. I want you to create 50% uncertainty intervals. So we did one already, and I was actually prepared. I purposely had you do one together. (laughs) Um, There are 10 questions. These are known as almanac questions. Um, In each question, you're supposed to give an interval the two of you are supposed to give an interval for which you jointly believe there's a 50% probability the true question is the true value is inside the interval. And I'll just give, before we do this I'll give you a very simple example what I just looked up this morning the population of Oxford, um, the town of Oxford. So suppose you had to give a 50% interval so just anybody you, you, you two, give me a 50% interval for the population of to make something happen. Eighty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand. Okay, eighty thousand to one hundred twenty. Cool. So the point about this is that this interval is supposed to—it's if the true value is inside the interval, it's not supposed to make them happy, right? Because it's not—it's supposed to have a fifty percent chance. Of it. It's just the way. It, this, yeah, I looked it up. It's one hundred twenty-one thousand. So, you're not supposed to say, oh man, I just missed it or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to express your uncertainty. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I want you to take a couple minutes. It's going to take about five minutes. I want you for each of these to come up with a 25% and 75% sorry, lower value to the balance. So, the number gives so you can a 25% chance it's less than this. Now, I'll tell you what they are. Because, um, it's it's um, they're here, but I'll read it to you. The percentage of people in the United States who are black. From the 1990 census. The total egg production in the United I'm sorry, it's a US centric world, <laughs> in 1965. The number of airline passengers worldwide who died in plane crashes in 1980 is an old demo, as you say. The percentage of babies born in the United States that are girls. The percentage of entering college freshmen in 1990 whose profitable field of study was physical sciences. The number of native French speakers in Canada in 1981. The number of people in the United States who watched the Super Bowl, let's say a football game, in 1995. The number of babies born in the United States in 1992. The number of abortions in the United States in 1992. And the median household income in the United States in 1996. So I want you to keep doing this. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass this around. It's a jar of. of what are they, 10p? 10 10 P. Okay. I want you to estimate how many 10p pieces are in the jar, just a number. So what I want you to do, I'm going to give it to you. The two of you are going to make this estimate. Once you've done this, go back and do this. Okay. And then similarly, you will keep doing this. When the jar comes to you, take a little break. Quickly estimate. Just take, you know, you know, take 20 seconds and estimate the number of 10p pieces and write it down. I should have done it earlier. Now. Okay, I, I just want to make a point that I violated one of my own principles. Because, see, timing and organization are very important. I should have had an earlier slide at the very beginning saying pass out the jar of, of, of the jar of ten key pieces, which I didn't. Pick. So that was. The, I, I think that in, as much as you want as much as possible on the damn screen to keep yourself organized. Uh, for me, that's that's very important, maybe, because I'm often a disorganized person. Now, doing this assignment, I think, it makes you realize like, how, how unpleasant it is to think about uncertainty. I mean, I, I, I think I'm the only one who finds it actually sort of painful to write these numbers down. But there's some way in which you just, like, it's just not natural expressing uncertainty, it really hurts. (laughs) So that's like, in some way, the most important thing you get out of this activity. Um, I'll give you, I'll put the true value. Do you know this trick, by the way? If you project onto the screen and you can, you know, write numbers down, right? That's actually nice. You can project a scatter plot onto the the board and then have students walk up and draw regression lines on it. Now that's that's an old favorite. You make a scatter plot like this, and then you have the student draw the regression line, and the student goes like this, and then you screen out them and say, no, the regression line is actually this. You, know, so you should look, you know, look at this little bit here, most of the points It works very well. <coughs> um, oh, so here, uh, it's 12.1%. Um, black, is uh, 64.6 billion eggs. Um, <laughs> it like almost seems like a lot of eggs to people. We're going 200 million people <laughs> <laughs> to it's, like, it's, it's like a whole right? So if you have know, like 200 million people, it's not like they're going to eat one egg Right? It's gonna be a big number, but people always put numbers in the picture. Um, it was 814 airline deaths, it was forty-eight point seven percent girls, it was two percent of the French major in the physical sciences, it was six point two five million French speakers. It was 39.4 million people watched the Super Bowl. Um, It was 4.1 million babies, uh, 1.5 million abortions, and the median income was $35,500. Raise your hand if uh, less than half your intervals contain the true value. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is a well-known phenomenon. Um, hey, this isn't working. What's up? Did I just cut off the? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, this is well known. There is a paper from 1968 about this, actually. Um... <coughs> People's 50% intervals only tend to be right about a third of the time. Um, and um, now, I wrote that there is a foolproof way of being calibrated. If you really want to be calibrated, you could do that. Do you, do you know how to make sure to be 100% sure? I can take the first five intervals and just say I'm going to go from zero to infinity five times, and then the last five are going to be zero to zero. Well, then half, half of my intervals are going to contain the true value and half won't, so I'll be perfectly calibrated. But that's not that useful. So, but that's sort of the point, like, calibration's not the only goal. But yeah, there's something going on, there's, like, there's some problems with that. <coughs> um, at first, overconfident, this is a famous example from about 40 years ago, where someone went to a society of um, uh, civil engineers, you know, people who build things like bridges, and the There was a certain embankment somewhere that they'd done an experiment to see how high the water could go before the embankment failed, and it was the whole problem was described to the people in the room, and then each of the first people was supposed to estimate how high the embankment was, number, and then give a 50 percent interval. So seven people did it, and these are the intervals because here's the true value. It's sort of amazing, not merely that they're all wrong, but that like they're he's so sure it's gonna you know, fail in less than fifteen feet, and this person is so sure it was gonna be more than twenty feet, and of course this person must have thought he was being ridiculously wide, and yet, you know, it's supposed to be the true value. So this is a well known problem. Um, so good to experience it, I think it is important when for political scientists to think about things like this, because of course people are making forecasts, so forth. There's a lot of research in this. Um, the quarters. Now i am sure that they're not quarters; they're 10 p. Public quarters in um, the United States. The this is an exercise which is very much related to capturing uncertainty. It's not. I, as I said, I I usually, it wasn't good that I passed them around while we were doing the other thing because it's supposed to be already, like, you're supposed to do the quarters of the coins first, but we've already done that. Let's, what I want to do is, um, we're going to do a little decision analysis, and the point of this is there's a little bit of non-trivial mathematics, Um, it's just the right level for students. Um, so let me first get your guesses. And in this exercise, we are not competing, you are collaborating. You as a class are going to make a guess. Where is the, where's the jar? I'm going to keep calling them quarters because it's easier for to say This, this jar of quarters. You're going to get one guess, and if you guess this right, you're going to get all the quarters in the jar. We can split them as a it. You can use them to buy more candy, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, very quickly, what's your estimate of how many? you going to not your sure Okay. Yeah. So, by the way, <laughs> Steve filled up. I specifically, he did not pick how many quarters to put in the jar. He kept putting quarters in until the jar was full. And I want you to say that because it's not, it's not a psychology problem, it's a physics problem. right? And it's like, how many quarters fit in a jar? It's not like, what was he trying to do? Was he trying to trick you by getting a round number? Nothing like that. He just kept putting them in until it reached a certain level. So, quickly, your guesses. I think it's 50. 50. Just shout them out. In order. I guess about 70. Okay. 100. 100. <laughs> 100. 100. <Yeah>. 200. <laughs> 90. 60. 90. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so of course, you know the, the odds are unlikely it's any of these particular dots. The, what we're going to do is come up with a fifty percent interval, something, something that contains a true dot. you contains a fifty percent chance it contains a true dot. Then we're going to go from there. So, um, what? Give me. I mean, let me make something up based on this. Let's say I go, I go from um, eighty to one hundred thirty. Raise your hand if you think the number of quarters in the jar is less than. I'm just going to remember it now. I just, we did it too quickly. Raise your hand if you think it's between 80 and 130. Raising your hand if you think it's more than 130. Okay, so not too many. Okay. Raising your hand if you think it's between. So, do you think this is 100, 120? It a little too narrow to me, given everything else we're mm-hmm. How about that? Raising your hand if you think it's between 90 and 120. It's mm-hmm. less than 90 more than 120. Yeah, we'll we'll go with this. I mean, again, the point here is gonna be the math rather than the details of the (coughs) number. I just pulled this off the web. It's the the normal distribution. I'm gonna assume that our uncertainty, in some sense this is like a forecast of an election. It's a forecast of how many quarters are in the jar, it's an estimate. I'm gonna assume that our uncertainty can be captured by this normal distribution Um, Now, if it's centered, if it goes from 90 to 120, the center is 105. Now, we need to know one little fact here, which is that 50% of the probability falls within plus or minus two-thirds of the standard deviation. It's a useful fact to know. Um, It's not exactly two-thirds, but it's approximate. So, in this case, 50% of the probability goes between 90 and 120. So therefore, this 15 equals two-thirds of a standard deviation. Right? So therefore, one standard deviation is 45 over 2, is 22.5. Okay. So, if I go to 22.5, 105 plus 22.5 Well here, maybe I'll just do this So that's that, this is our uncertainty distribution Now, this is not quite right because it's discrete, right? So it could be exactly 105 or it could be 106 or it could be 107 or it could be 104 or minor, minor. Now let us suppose that this represents our subjective belief. So 105 is our best guess for the number of quarters in a jar, but it could be 106 or anywhere in this range. Um, in that case, what should your guess be for the number of quarters in a jar? You want to say 105, don't you? But again, you don't want to, it it's too obvious. So it's like you're sort of porn, right, because in a way it's uncut, but maybe the trick is, there's no trick, right? Maybe it is 105, <laughs> it's not, 105 is not the right thing to guess. Um, let me tell you something, I have a coin of some sort, some goofy English coin in my pocket. There's a 50% chance that this coin has, this hand has zero. And a 50% chance that's one <coughs> coin. You're going to guess. And if you guess it right, you get to keep all the coins in my hand. What you you guess? One. Yes. One. Well, yes, one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what if I told you that it was exactly 104 or 106 and they were equally likely? Which would you guess? 106. 106. So there's this trade off here, right? Um, and you can do it. So again, the point is this is an exercise I do not for my introductory statistics class. This is for, my, this is for a class for students are learning probability. Mm-hmm. And it's a probability problem. Um, and you have to do it. So you say, well, you have to maximize your expected gain, that's what you want to do. And your expected gain is x times the probability of x. So that's x times 1 over the square root of 2 pi times the standard deviation, which is 22.5, times e to the minus 1 over 2 times 22.5 squared. And you're not going to do this in a class where you're teaching them how to run linear regressions, but sometimes there's a class where you're supposed to learn some probability. Okay. Um, times x minus 105 squared. You want to maximize, you want to optimize this in an So what you do is you take the derivative, but you need to take the log first. So you take the derivative of the log of x, and then that's log of x. Well this plus well you get this minus log of this thing, which doesn't matter because it's just a constant. So log of x plus constant minus one over two times twenty-two point five squared. Times x minus one hundred five squared, and then you differentiate this thing because that's how you find the mode. And the derivative, the derivative of log of x is one over x, and then you get the derivative of constant zero. And this is minus one over two times twenty two point five squared times this, which is just two times x minus one hundred five. That's the derivative of x minus. And then you set this to zero, and you get. get this thing, it's a quadratic equation, actually. It's sort of funny, like the solution to this is a solution to the quadratic equation. It's it's, it's this thing, it turns out. It's, it's, um, It's one half, your best guess is one half times mu, which is 105, plus the square root of 22.5. So it's a little bigger than 105, you can see that. Because half of it is 105 and half of it is something bigger than 105. It's some number like, like 110 or something like that and you can, can figure it out. Um, and that's the optimal guess, it's sort of some, somewhere over, over here. So I love this example because I feel like it really gets them to feel like this equation it also along the way you get to do all these other fun things like the uncertainties and all that. Oh, I have the number of things actually here. 94. Okay. So, yeah. So, okay. you know, all I can say is I paid more for the candy in that bag Good. than I paid for. I so, students learn a lot in this. I've, when I teach decision analysis, I devote like the entire first class of the semester to this, this whole larger example. They learn about empirical calibration of probabilities, the idea that the probability can be calibrated, the concept of the expected value. Uh, we often have long discussions about whether you wanna optimize the expected value or whether you just wanna win you know, the, the game. Um, they get to use the formula, they actually get to do um, which is something that they're going to need to do with their students who are more quantitative. Um, so, would um, like. Now, in summary, um, I think there are a lot of reasons to do these activities. <coughs> the number one for me is to get the students involved in the class. And which is why we need to do things in pair. Also, of course, if they're working on problems, then I can walk around the room and see where students are getting stuck. Um, it's we also do drills. So I think of these things, these activities are called demonstrations. Drills are these small problems where you just have them working, you're here five problems, solve these problems, and they should be pretty easy. Um you know, there are lots of things like I, things that students should know. Um, you do a survey with a hundred people. What's your margin of error? Now, it's not hard. The square root of point five to by the square root, and the square root of hundred is easy. But, but a lot of students, even PhD students in political science, can't answer that question. So give them a bunch of really easy questions and some hard ones. Um, you can. This is what you do in high school, right? So the, but I think this is this is going to be very important. Um, why do I need the mic? Book is called Teaching Statistics and Baggage Tricks. Deborah Nolan is my co-author. She's another person we taught where I used to teach. And I remember once I um, couldn't. I she was out of town, and so I, I substitute taught for her and her class. They were so lively. I was like, they were just jumping out. Everything we talked about, they were jumping out. Then she gets guest taught, substitute taught for my class, and she said how our students, my students were all completely dead. And I was like, oh Jeff, yeah. now I know why you have such good teaching evaluations, because you always get lied with students all the time. Maybe <laughs> not. So I realized that it's my style. You see this here. We have all these activities, but you're sitting here silent because I'm bullying you, I'm throwing words at you. it's my style, I'm a bossy boss. I'm not I'm not a natural teacher. I'm, a, I'm the person who just keeps, won't shut up. And I'm my face. Deb will stand back. She's much better. Okay. So I do these things because it's the only way that I can avoid being the way I am now. I'm already doing what I don't like to do. i doing this all the time just the way I am. I have these activities to stop me from doing that. Um, so um, that's, um, that's all. I um, just wanted to give you a flavor for someone giving you. There'd be another talk that i give, which is all about examples. How people are thinking wrong about statistics and how to do better. That's another topic. This is all form in you know, the substance, but the form can be important too. Oh, Jits. Well, I won't tell you about So um, anyway, I hope this is helpful. I mean, that, oh, sorry, I should say one more thing. Because people tell me they didn't you know, get, get my book. They'll say, I get like people send me people saying, Congratulations, I, I love your book, and I give the example on page 43. And I get it, like. When they say that, it's like they're ripping my heart out. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I do all of these. When I teach, I do these activities in every class. And to say they use one example. So I think if, if you want to do these things, you know, it's a little scary because you're sort of losing control a little bit. But you just have to stick it in the class period. You put the slide up saying we're going to do this, and then and then it can work out. Uh, so I encourage you. To that really is. Right?